0: morning. Good to worship with you today. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Fred. I'm one of the pastors. I'll be preaching today and just want to say hi. Thanks for coming and being here with us. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. That's a series that we started a couple of weeks ago. So if you have a Bible on you and want to find your way to Colossians, that's where we'll be. Um, we're going to look specifically in chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24. Um, and so I want to read this text and uh, after we read this text, say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump into the message. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, for I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Would you pray with me as we consider this text this morning? Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would make yourself known. Always our goal is to see you as we look to your word. And God, we pray that as you uh, reveal yourself among us today, you would make a couple of things clear. One, our need for a savior. Father, bring conviction of sin and bring conviction of your holiness into our hearts and minds today. Two, I pray that you would make clear your provision of that savior in Jesus Christ let us know for certain that we have a capable savior and three today i pray that we would be convinced of the work that needs to be done the mission that you have given to us your church to spread your glory to make your to make your salvation known to all who live among us we ask these things in jesus' name amen so we look at this passage today I, You'll see on the handout, one, there's a statement and then three coinciding points. The statement needs to, to be made clear at the beginning because there's something very unusual or perhaps shocking that is stated in this passage. In, in verse 24, we see that Paul says he is completing in his flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. Now, we always talk, rightfully so, in terms of the completed or the finished work of Christ. And if Christ has completed the work, then how can Paul say there is something lacking in Christ's afflictions? Is he trying to say that what Jesus did on the cross was not complete? That what Jesus did on the cross was not enough? Or is there something else going on here? Well, I think as we read... This passage particularly, but also the New Testament as a whole, we see there is something else going on here. And the the statement that you see on the the top of the handout is an attempt to explain that and set the context for what we want to talk about today. It says this on your handout, while the work of our redemption was done completely by Christ during his earthly life and ministry, the work of building his church has been entrusted to us. Jesus has done, we talked about this last week, I believe it was, Jesus has completed the work of redemption. He has done everything needed to secure our salvation or to make possible our salvation. When Jesus hung on the cross, some of his final words were, it is finished. And what he was referring to was the work of our redemption has been completed. Jesus completed the work necessary for our redemption in two ways. And we talk about this from time to time. I try to to emphasize it as often as we can that there are actually two things that Jesus did that were necessary for our salvation. One was that he lived a holy, perfect, sinless, blameless life on our behalf. He did that for us. When God created man, he set the standard for how man ought to live according to his righteousness. And that standard which is set according to his righteousness is one that we consistently fall short of. All of us fall short of that standard. None of us live the life that that God demands that we live. Romans 3 makes this clear. All fall short of the glory of God. That's what that means. We don't live up to his perfect and righteous standard. That puts us in a very bad place with God. That puts us, as, as we've, we've talked about, that puts us in a separation from God because God cannot allow the unholy to coexist in his holy presence. And therefore we, by necessity, have to be separated from him. And so Jesus comes and he lives the perfect, sinless life on our behalf, the Bible says that we receive as a gift his righteousness. We stand before God, not in our own righteousness, which is lacking, but we stand before God in the righteousness of Christ. I tried to explain this Friday night by using the example of somebody who likes, who, who likes to run races and wants to run the Pittsburgh Marathon. Does anybody in here like to run Alright, so there's a couple of weird people in here. Alright. <laughs> if you like to run and you set as a goal that you want to complete the Pittsburgh Marathon and you have set out to train and to discipline yourself and to prepare yourself, you've done everything necessary to build up to this, this big day and you want to run this marathon, you want to complete the race, you want to receive the prize and, and perhaps you've, you've done this for several years. And if you've done this for several years, you probably have at home a series of medallions, a series of, of rewards for running those races. When somebody finishes a race, we reward them with those types of things. But let's say this year, 2023, you're, you're ready to go and you've been training well, it's gonna be your best year. The night before, you do something stupid, you, you slip and you, you, you twist your ankle And you instantly realize there's no way I'm going to be able to complete this race tomorrow. There's no way that I can do what is necessary to receive that reward. But you've got a good friend that you've been training with. And they, out of the kindness of their heart, go and they run the marathon, they complete the race, they receive the reward, and they come and they say, I know how disappointed you are that you didn't get to participate in the race this year, and so I want to give you my reward. And they take that medallion off and they place it around your neck. And now you have been gifted a a reward that you did not earn. Now, this illustration Is not perfect. It breaks down in many places. But it's an example of what Jesus has done on our behalf. There's no way we could do what was required. We did not have the ability. We did not have the desire. We did not have the resolve, the discipline to do what God has commanded for us to do. And yet Jesus has done it. And he has not done it for himself. He has done it on your behalf. And he graciously gifts to you the reward for the life that he lived before God. It is a gift that you have not earned. It is a a gift that you must receive. And it is a gift that he will never take back. He gives us something that we don't deserve, his righteousness. That's the first way in which Jesus accomplishes our redemption. The second way, and the one that we most often think about and emphasize, is that he goes, he then, go, having lived this righteous, sinless life, he then goes to the cross and dies a sinner's death as if he had sinned. In fact, he dies as if all of the sins of all of the human race were upon him. And he takes upon himself the punishment for our sins. And in these two ways, Jesus has completely accomplished our redemption. There is nothing more that you need to do in terms of righteous living in order to be counted righteous before God in terms of dying in regards to paying the penalty for your sin. Jesus has done all of that. It is finished, he said. So what is the unfinished work of Christ? What is there left to do? If our salvation cannot be earned, our salvation cannot even be added to as if it, it needs our contribution in some way, yet we do have work to do. I think Ephesians 2 says this very well, very popular passage of scripture. This won't be on the screen, I apologize. I added this later, but I wanna read it to you. Just three verses, Ephesians 2, verses eight through 10. It says, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. That's Jesus's, Accomplishing our redemption on our behalf. He did it. We receive it. We receive it by grace through faith. But it goes on to say, have, you know, having received such a salvation, verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So, We don't need to work to earn our salvation. However, having been saved, we do have work to do. But we need to be sure to separate doing that work from the process of earning our salvation because that has been done. That is complete. But there is, in this sense, an unfinished work of Christ. As important as it is, for us to emphasize and to remind ourselves and to live in the reality of the finished work of Christ. It is equally important for us to recognize that he has called us into service to complete the unfinished work of Christ, which is the building of his church. It is the mission that God has given for all Christians throughout all all ages to declare and demonstrate the gospel, to build his church, as we're gonna see in a moment, to bring the body of Christ into maturity as followers of Christ. And so I wanna emphasize from this passage then, from our passage in Colossians, three things in regards to this work that we have been given. One, we have a message. You'll see this next on your handout. We have a message that is part of this work. The message is the mystery of God revealed. Maybe you caught it, maybe you didn't. Uh, maybe you're thinking about something else when I was reading this passage. That's okay, often I'm thinking about something else when I read these passages. But, but if, you, if you were in tune, you probably noticed that throughout this passage is this recurring idea of a mystery being revealed. A mystery, that mystery that is revealed is the mystery that God, having prepared from before the creation of the world to send his son into a world that he knew would be fallen and he knew would need redeemed, has now been revealed through the life of Jesus Christ. Let me just read the passage. Let's look at verse 25. It says, I have become its servant, Paul says, According to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you're reading, if you're reading along with us through this 365 Bible reading plan, we're, we're still in the, the what's called the, the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're getting close to the end of Numbers. Uh, then, we're gonna, then we're gonna wrap up the books of Moses with Deuteronomy, which we preached back in the fall. And you'll notice that at this point, the, meaning where we're reading, at this point in God's plan of redemption, There's a lot that we now know that they didn't know then. There was a plan that God is progressively revealing throughout scripture, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. He is making known mysteries. In other words, God is not making this up as he goes along and improvising. This is a plan that he had from the beginning that he is progressively making known. One of the challenges of reading those first five books is what we know is just so different from what they knew. And so we have, to put our, we have to put ourselves in their shoes and try to understand the Word of God from their perspective, from where they're at in salvation history. But now, as we look at Colossians, Colossians being a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the first century after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a message that is written at a time when God's mystery has been made known. He's let, he's let it all out. He's, he's holding back no more secrets regarding his plan of redemption. And Paul says, I have become a servant sometimes translated as a slave. Paul has become bound to this duty of making known the word of God, the mystery of Christ that has now been revealed. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. By the way, when the Bible uses the word saints, that means all believers all believers. The biblical definition of a saint is somebody who is a believer in Christ. Um, if you, especially if you grew up Catholic or in um, you know a part of the Christian faith where uh, saints are somebody who are they're they're dead but now they have been given the status of sainthood. That's not a, a biblical understanding of the word. The biblical understanding is that you and I, as believers in Christ, are saints, and so this has been revealed to us. It has been revealed to all believers everywhere throughout all of the history of the Christian church. And so Paul's life, his, his, his occupation now, is to make this mystery known. To make fully known the word of God. He says in verse 27 that God wanted to make known among the Gentiles. Gentiles are just non-Jews. It's everybody outside of the Jews. So that's us, unless you are born Jewish. Uh, The the idea of Gentiles includes you. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. The, The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ introduces and begins a new era. Begins a new era of God's redemptive history. It's an era that we are still in. It's one that's been going on for 2,000 years wherein God has made known how he intends to save. What he was beginning to reveal through Moses back in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which you've been reading, what he was beginning to reveal then has now been made fully known. And Paul becomes kind of the front runner of the work that God intends for his church to do, which is to take that word to everyone everywhere. And that was, that was Paul, the rest of Paul's life. He's traveling all throughout the Roman Empire. He's going from city to city. He's going from province to province. He's going around. He's making known this gospel. He's making known this mystery, which has now been revealed, that Jesus Christ would come to save us. The message today remains the same. The message today is that Jesus has accomplished what we talked about earlier. He has accomplished completely the the work necessary for our redemption. And the need today is still much the same. Believe it or not, there are many people who have not heard this revealed mystery. There are many people today, living today, who don't know who Jesus is. A lot of them live in distant lands. A lot of them live in places like um, two weeks ago when we had the hall, when we just had Christian hall here. Um, when we, we're hearing about the work that God is doing through them in, in um, Southeast Asia to take the gospel to people who do not have access to this message of Christ. And um, that's their mission, that's their life's goal, and we need to always be aware of that need, that there are people who have literally never heard the name of Jesus. There are people who do not have the Bible in a language that they can read or understand. However, we must also be aware that there are people who live right here where we live, who are equally uninformed. Maybe equally uninformed is not good. Practically on the same level, in terms of they have probably heard the name of Jesus, but they don't know who he is. They don't know what he has done. They don't know the story of God's plan of redemption. They don't know that they can be saved from their sins through faith in Jesus. They don't know. And they don't even know that they don't know. They might pretend to go along with it. Oh, why do you go to church? Why do you go to church on Easter? Wow, because Jesus rose from the dead. They're like, oh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. They don't have any idea what you're talking about. Some of them are our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our neighbors. We can make no assumptions that the people around us understand the gospel. We can make no assumptions that the people around us have been given a real opportunity to place their faith in Christ. As urgent as the need is to go to, to foreign countries to declare the gospel to people who, who have not heard it, and that is urgent and we must not lose sight of that. We must always be be aware of that need and committed to helping meet that need through the sending of resources, the sending of people to going and encouraging and coming alongside of any way that we can. It'd be a shame to travel halfway across the world to tell somebody a message you're not willing to tell the people that live right where you live. This message, the mystery of God revealed it must come from our mouths. It must come from our lives. It must, it must be declared where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go to school. It must be declared here. That's the message. What is the mission? The next thing you'll see on the handout is that not only do we have a message that must be declared, we have a mission that must be accomplished. That mission, as you'll see on the handout or on the screen now, is the mission of mature believers. Paul makes clear the reason for which he wants to declare the word of God fully to these towns and cities and places that he's traveling. And the reason that he wrote this letter to the Colossians is to grow them into maturity. He says in verse 28, we proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may, all, so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding. And have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is compelled to go throughout the known world. Because there is this message inside of him that he can't wait to get out. To him and to, to all the other believers has been revealed, not only God's plan of redemption, but all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge which come from Christ. And he eagerly goes. I was just listening last night to the book of Acts. And, and one of the, one of the stories that I just really enjoyed last night as I was listening was that when Paul goes out and preaches the gospel and the Jews get so mad at him that they begin to violently beat him and fearing that he may die, the authorities step in and they basically arrest Paul and they're taking him away and he pleads with the authorities that before they get him away from those who are trying to kill him, that they give him an opportunity to stop and to declare again the message of Jesus to them. I mean, how many of us, if if you share the gospel with somebody and they try to kill you, would not just walk away and go, I guess they don't want to hear it, (laughs) but that's kind of on them. Paul's so compelled. He's so compelled by the desire to share this message that he doesn't want to lose this opportunity. Having been beaten nearly to death, he stands up and he proclaims among them, the gospel. Well, that's because he had a mission. His mission was to declare the word of God so that all might come to maturity in Christ. Do you have that same compulsion within you to declare the message of Christ? Do you have that same desire for the people around you to grow into maturity in Christ? That's our mission. Our mission is to so make the word of God known where we live that all might come to maturity in Christ. I like the way Paul said it in verse 28, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul regards his life as having a responsibility for all of the churches and he envisions this time where he will stand before God to give an account for his life and he wants at that time to present to Jesus his church for which he has labored throughout his life to bring to maturity. That's far different than most of us think of the church. We think of the church as a place where we can personally and individually grow in our faith in Christ and everybody else has their, their own responsibility to grow themselves. And if the people around me aren't growing, that's on them. As long as I'm doing the right things, that's our mentality. Paul's mentality was, I mean, if, if Paul wanted to, if his only concern was his own personal maturity in Christ, he had plenty of opportunities to just go off and live a peaceful life and not be so violently persecuted all the time, to not always be in fear of death because of preaching the gospel. He had the opportunity to go and just just really foster his own spiritual growth. And that's exactly what so many of us are doing but he understood the mission. He understood the mission was not for his own personal growth. That was a small part of it. He understood that the mission was that the church of Christ, that, that Jesus be presented a bride who has been prepared, who has been properly adorned, who has made herself ready for him. We have that same mission with no distinction. Yes, Paul had a unique role to play in the church. He was the forerunner of taking the gospel to the, from the Jews to all other nations. He was the one who began that, but we have the same mission. We have the mission of bringing the church of God into maturity through the word of God, which has made known this mystery of Christ. Paul is writing to churches that he has never visited. He could have easily said, yeah, those churches that I started, there were a lot of churches that Paul planted as he went from city to city preaching the gospel. And it's one thing for him to feel a sense of responsibility for them. But now he's writing to a church that he's never even visited, that somebody else started, this guy named Epaphras. He he could have been like Epaphras, that's, that's your responsibility, man. You write some letters. You go visit. You compel them to be mature. But he said here at verse 2 I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. Paul says, I labor for this. I labor for this. Do you labor for the maturity of Christ's bride, the church? Do you work? Do you strive? Do you give yourself to this mission? Finally, we see the method. We have a message, the mystery of God revealed in Christ. We have a mission, which is to bring into maturity all believers. What is the method? The method, according to this passage, is faithful ministry even in the face of suffering. Faithful ministry even in the face of suffering. Let me show you this from the passage. We're gonna look at verses 24 and then a similar idea repeated in verse one. In verse 24, it says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Just let the strangeness of that statement sink in for a minute. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Affliction. The uncomfortableness, I already touched on this, I know, but the uncomfortableness of that statement to say that anything was lacking in Christ's affliction. For his body, that is the church. Paul considers his suffering a continuation of the suffering that Christ endured. Christ came from glory, where there was no suffering, down to earth, where there is virtually only suffering, and he suffered For the sake of his church, he suffered to make redemption possible. Remember the completed work of Christ. He suffered to make redemption possible. But that suffering is continuing in Paul and in the other believers. That suffering is continuing as people are laying down their lives, as they are laboring, as they are striving, as they are working through hardship to build the body of Christ into maturity. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's affliction for his body. That is the church, verse one, for I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. Paul is suffering so that people he's never met but whom he regards as brothers and sisters, might continue to grow into maturity in Christ. That is the epitome of faithful ministry. Faithful ministry is is using every bit of our lives to build up the body of Christ. And I say even in the face of suffering, but this passage really highlights that specifically in the face of suffering. The method that Paul is drawing attention to here isn't really just faithful ministry. It's suffering to accomplish faithful ministry. He rejoices in his his sufferings. He rejoices in his afflictions. Well, what are his sufferings? What are his afflictions? Well, he tells us. He tells us, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, that I think on two occasions, he received from the Jews uh, 39 lashes, which is when they would beat you to within an inch of death and then let you live to remember the beating. That you just, He says twice. He was, I was, again, as I was listening to Acts last night, there was a time when when Paul was so badly beaten that they actually carried him out of the city and threw him on the ground thinking he was dead. How do you think somebody is dead? That's how badly he was beaten. He says he was shipwrecked on the open sea. He says, that everywhere he goes, people oppose him. He says that he carries around the burden of all of the churches. These are his afflictions. They're they're not small sufferings. Paul's got a rough life, and yet he rejoices. He rejoices because he knows that that suffering is producing in them this maturity in, in Christ that is the mission He rejoices because he knows that through his suffering, things are being accomplished that otherwise would not be accomplished. If you are a believer in Christ, you need to have a Bible-centered view of suffering. You need to to see the suffering that you experience in this life in the context of, of what the Bible reveals God is doing through suffering. Suffering very often is like putting gas on the fire of the ministry of Christ. Suffering very often propels ministry to a level that it otherwise would not have seen. We are are contemporaries with one of the greatest examples of suffering for Christ that, at least in modern history, has ever been seen. That's, some of you may be familiar with her. There's a lady named Johnny Erickson Tata who at the age of 16 or 17 broke her neck in a diving accident and has been a quadriplegic for over 50 years now and yet has, through daily suffering, through suffering that, Perhaps you and I would fail to endure for any amount of time whatsoever. Through daily suffering has advanced the cause of Christ in ways that are just unthinkable. She has a ministry that has reached into nations that you and I have never heard of. She has a ministry that has touched countless lives. For over 50 years, this woman has lived every single second in a body that is so badly broken that, you and I can't even bear to think of what she goes through. And yet that has been the means by which God has done all of this. Paul, in the same way, is a first century example of how, how much suffering can do to accomplish the mission. Suffering becomes a vehicle through which the gospel can travel when we suffer for Christ and when we suffer in faithfulness. That's why he wants this to be known. That's why he writes this letter. I want you to know I'm suffering for you. What effect does that have on you? When somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, I just want you to know I was thinking about you today, that means something, right? It's encouraging, like, wow. Wow. I was on their mind. That's, that's really cool. Another human being was thinking about me. That's great. But when somebody reaches out and they say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of going through it right now and I could get out of this, but I want to do it for you. I want to suffer so that you know the fullness of Christ. I, I want to suffer so that you might understand the sufficiency of having Christ even in the midst of suffering. So that you might understand the power of knowing that even though you may lose everything in this life, if you have Jesus, you haven't really lost anything. This is how Paul regards his suffering. Not only does he regard suffering as accomplishing the mission of bringing the saints into maturity. But he also, we know from Second from Corinthians 4 and 5, that he regards suffering as producing for us in eternity a greater reality, a greater heaven, a, a greater experience in the presence of Christ. As a, this is what I said earlier, as a Christian, you, you've gotta have a Bible-centered view of suffering because you will suffer. You will experience suffering in this life. The question is, will that suffering propel the ministry of bringing to maturity those Christians whom your life touches? So we have the completed work of Christ. In summary, let me just say, we have the completed work of Christ. Your salvation has been accomplished. Nothing you ever do is going to add to that. You will stand before God by grace alone. He has gifted to you his righteousness. But we also have, in light of that gift, this work to be done, this work that involves the message of the revealed mystery of Christ, which we now live in this age of revelation. We live in this age of of now knowing what what was held secret in the past, We we have this mission of declaring that message to bring the church into maturity to prepare Jesus' bride for him and we have the method of faithful ministry even in the face of suffering. If you were to grade yourself on these three things, how faithfully am I declaring the message? How focused and committed am I? Am I to the mission? And how fully have I embraced the method? I hope you would score well. But I know from my own life how hard it is to stay focused and committed to these things. And I know from observation that many of us would not score well. And so today I want to call us back to remember the completed work of Christ, to remember what Jesus has done on our behalf, and use that as fuel, as motivation to be involved in the mission. Let his gracious work of redemption compel us to do the unfinished work of Christ. Would you pray with me, Father in heaven? What an honor to be called into service. Paul was so honored to, to be employed by you in his kingdom that he regarded himself as a slave. He regarded himself as a servant. He was bound to do these things. May we regard our lives in the same way. May we consider ourselves servants in the kingdom of God, bound to Compelled by the gospel, compelled by the finished work of Christ to do what has yet been completed. The declaration of this beautiful message, the mission of building the church into maturity through the method of faithful service, even if that means suffering. Father, use our ransom lives, as we often sing, any way you choose. Use our lives to build your church into maturity. Use our lives to rescue from the darkness those who have not yet placed their faith in in Christ, many of whom live right next to us or work right beside us or go to school with us. Father, may we use the days ahead to faithfully declare the gospel of Jesus. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.